0: Coming up on this week's podcast. We pray, and we don't. We don't really expect an answer a lot of the time. We're, we pray because we're supposed to. We pray because we're called to. We pray because we feel like it. We pray because it's six o'clock in the morning and it's time. Whatever the reason is, the whole idea of being a part of God's kingdom, the whole idea of being one with God, of being a part of the body of Christ, is the expectation that He's going to keep His promises. Stay tuned for more.
1: And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's a guest speaker with today's message.
0: The average attendance was down to two ladies. Um, never They never missed a service. The pastor would come and preach to two, have a service for two ladies, two ladies. And um, the church had no water, no running water. It was heated by a coal stove in the basement. They would, somebody would come and stoke it up and they would literally, there was a grate in the floor about this big and the heat would just come up and fill the place. And um, when they would have communion there, they would prepare the elements like a lot of people were going to come. But it was just the same two little ladies every week. And I I guess after a while, they got tired of just filling up all the glasses and all the work that would go into it. The people who prepare communion, there's a certain amount of work that goes into this. If you've ever cleaned those little glasses, they were, you know, it takes some time. And I guess they just got tired of cleaning all the glasses, so they would only clean like half a dozen. The rest of them were dirty. They would fill them all up, with with the grape juice, and they would take a piece of twine, and encircled the clean glasses with them, so that the ladies would not drink out of a dirty glass. <laughs> these same, bless their hearts, these same two little ladies, and I was thinking as we taking communion, I think this all the time, we're one with them. It must have been lonely, in a little church out there in the way up there, you know, just the two of them, um, nobody to play the organ, nobody, you know, just just the two of them. But we're one with them. They're connected. Even the two of them, off by themselves, up in this little church, uh, up until the day they closed the church, they, uh, they were one with us, with us, and we with them. We are part of something that just reaches into every little corner, every nook and cranny of this planet, where the Lord is working with us in order to uh, carry out his, his kingdom plan. Now, the idea of the kingdom plan, obviously, is what we're talking about uh, at this service, which culminated, uh, or at least I shouldn't say culminated because it's not over yet, is it? But it led at the, uh, to the point where the Christ was um, incarnated and uh, came to us in the flesh. There's a story that's told. Um, there's a lot of versions of this. Uh, the way that I heard it goes like this. There's a little church in a farming community, and they're in the middle of a drought, having a terrible drought. And at one point, the pastor says, we're all going to come together. We're going to pray our way out of this. We're going to meet Tonight he calls everybody. Have you heard this one, Bill? You just, it just had that look on your face. <laughs> well, you—that's okay. You have that look a lot. <laughs> it's that knowing look. Um, they called everybody together. They all gathered together. They're going to pray their way out of the drought. They get there, and the um, before they even start, the pastor says, "Not one of you brought an umbrella." We come to pray, we're expecting to pray, and we come here and not a single one of you expects to have the prayer answered. You expect to go home in the same way that you came. And there's a certain element about the whole idea of expectation, the whole idea of us anticipating what's going to happen when we pray, what is what is, what is the the, uh, the place that our prayer fits into everything when we say we pray and we don't. We don't really expect an answer a lot of the time. We pray because we're supposed to. We pray because we're called to. We pray because we feel like it. We pray because it's 6 o'clock in the morning and it's time, whatever the reason is. The whole idea of being a part of God's kingdom, the whole idea of being one with God, of being a part of the body of Christ is the expectation that he's going to keep his promises. True? That spirit of expectation is important. The, the idea of praying with the idea, that joy in your heart, the thrill in your heart, where we go to the Lord all the time with, um, with uh, continuous, enthusiastic, loving, expectant, rapturous prayer, knowing that he hears us and that it matters what we're saying to him. Now, there are three elements to anticipation or expectation that I want uh, to talk about today. The first one deals with the story that, we're, that we've been talking about up until now, where we light the candles and we wait for the time when the baby appears in the manger. The anticipation that the, that the nation of Israel had, that, that the Judeans had, the Israelites had, that somewhere along the line, the Messiah was going to be born. Now, one of the things about the Messiah, if you look in a, uh, an American language, an English language Bible, and you look in a concordance, and you look up the word Messiah to see how many times it appears in the Old Testament, how many times does it appear in the Old Testament? Zero. Zero. They're looking forward to a Messiah that isn't even called that in the uh, the Old Testament. We don't translate the word Messiah. It doesn't appear in in the uh, most English English language but the word anointed does. And if you were to look at it in Hebrew, the word Meshiach for the Messiah appears over and over and over again but it is translated in the English version as um, the Anointed One. There was an anticipation that the Lord was going to do something that was going to deliver His people and to take the uh, the whole idea of the, the realm of earth and take it to a whole another level. We read all these things. Uh, Justin talked about these last week. Some of the Old Testament um, uh, prophecies about you know uh, from Isaiah and the others. Where here here we have you know wonderful Counselor. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God the everlasting father, the prince of peace, and he will reign forever and ever. We have the, um, the, the promise that something is coming. We know where he's going to be born. We know all the other stories about these prophecies, the signs that we're going to look for that tells us that the Messiah has been born, the anointed one has been born, the anointed one of God, it's, and that's spelled out specifically also, his anointed coming for a particular purpose. Now, the word meshiach in the Old Testament is applied to a whole lot of different people. We think of, when we think of Messiah, I think of Jesus. I imagine you do, too. We don't have a whole lot of people that we picture as a Messiah. Nobody else takes that role. Nobody else deserves that title. We have the one. But in the Old Testament, it's used about kings. It's used about prophets. It's used about priests. It's used about a whole lot of different people um, because that person is anointed, just like we were talking about in Judges a little while ago. They were anointed for a particular task. When Israel faced a difficult time, when they were in danger, someone was anointed at these times to carry them through it, to get them through all of this. And they were looking forward to the birth of his anointed, God's anointed, at a particular time to take the the kingdom of Israel to a whole nother level, a whole nother level of intimacy, a whole nother level of power. It brings us to the question of expectation again. What were they expecting with all this? Here comes comes the Prince of Peace. Here comes the Everlasting Father. Here comes Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. What are they expecting from them, and what did they actually get? Um, Some of you may know that the last book of the Old Testament, the last one that appears in the Old Testament, is Malachi. Uh, But the Old Testament scriptures end at about 400 B.C. Um, After that, God did not do anything, I think it's safe to say, God did not do anything to his nation that was worthy of being included in Scripture. I mean, obviously, he did something. He's still with his people. He's still talking. People are still praying. But the Scripture accounts that we use ends at, the, uh, at 400 B.C. Now, that period in between Malachi and the New Testament was called, logically enough, the Intertestamental Period. That's a, a, that's a good name. Um, and in the Intertestamental Period... A lot was still going on in the nation of Israel, including the Greeks coming in, and then later on including the Romans coming in, and the Romans, um, if you were a Roman citizen, life as a Roman was pretty nice. If you were not a Roman citizen, life under uh, under the Romans could be pretty tough. Paul found that out, remember, and it got so bad that at one point he had to actually remind them he was a Roman citizen just so he could get the kind of treatment that he wanted so that they would take him to Rome, which is where uh, God wanted him to go in the first place. He had to invoke the fact that he was a citizen. As soon as he did, the people who were mistreating him, they were really alarmed because they thought, you can't treat a citizen this way. But the people of Israel who were being treated by the Romans were looking forward to, and the story grew during the intertestamental period, that somebody is going to come, an anointed one is going to come, a Messiah who is going to come, who is going to get these people out of here and give the land of milk and honey, the promised land that the Lord led us into with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He's going to give this land back to us, and we will prevail here again. By the time Herod came along, you'll notice Herod, when Jesus was being... um, Uh, tried, and Pilate sent him off to Herod. There's an interesting thing about when they talk about Herod. You don't see the word king. This Herod was not the king. Now, the Herod, the last king, and he was actually not the king of Israel. The the Israelites didn't recognize his father, Herod, as the king because he wasn't from the line of David. And we know that the kingdom is supposed to be from the line of David, and we know also that Jesus is supposed to come from the line of David. But they had these people who were basically just sort of puppets ruling uh, for the Romans. And the people were hoping that here comes this mighty warrior. You've heard this story, of uh, uh, most of us, that here comes this mighty warrior and he's going to come in on a horse with a big army um, and he's just going to wipe them out. He's going to clean out every place and we're going to be restored to normal. By somebody with the power of God anointed for this particular purpose is going to come along and do with this. That was their expectation. And we know that what they got was very different than what they expected. It was so different that a lot, of, uh, a lot of Jews didn't recognize them at all. Still don't. The expectations, what we do when we put expectations into our head, what we do when we begin to picture what our future was going to be like, when we begin to picture and latch onto and form notions in our head and images of our head of how God works and what he's going to do with us, we really set ourselves up for trouble when we do that. God is very surprising. If God only granted my prayers the way I pray them, the number of blessings that I would have had would be a fraction of what they have been. Because as we know from the scripture, the Lord can do more than even we would dare imagine or think. Brings us to the the second anticipation. Anticipation. That's the anticipation of the Lord reigning in our hearts. This is the anticipation that we are feeling right now. The third one, too, we'll get to in a minute. We're also dealing with that one. But the second anticipation is the one of what is God going to do with us? What is God going to do with our church? What is he going to do with the kingdom? What is he going to do in the world, which a lot of us look at with a great deal of alarm if not mourning, and we say, when is the Lord going to assert himself? When is the Lord going to do the things that we read in the Bible? And for that matter, on a more personal level, when is he going to do the things in my life that I've been crying out to him for since I first came to him so long ago? When I first gave my life to him and I thought, I know what it's like to be a Christian. My troubles are over. Anybody remember that? that? How long did that last? My troubles are over. I'm a Christian now. I've got God on my side. I've got Jesus Christ in my life. I no longer have to worry about anything. I'm going to be happy and joyous and singing songs all day long. That lasts a, t- a couple months, lasts a couple months for me. One of the things that we do as Christians, I think, that we need to do is understand how to work and deal with and shepherd new Christians. Remembering how it was for us, let's not leave any new Christians that we shepherd into the faith. Let's not leave them to find that out for themselves. As loving people who are alive in Christ, with Christ alive in us, we want to work with them and to help them understand, okay, you have just embarked on something that you can't begin the picture there's no, I wouldn't even bother, if I, could, if I could convince you not to picture it, I probably can't, but if I, could, if I could convince you not to picture it, I would like to. Put aside any thoughts of what your life with Jesus is going to be like from now on, it's going to be very different than anything you're picturing, much better in ways that I can't even explain to you, because your whole, all of your motivations, all of your attitudes, your heart is going to be changed. And you can't picture a changed heart. How do, you know a, how do you know what a new heart is going to be like? We're still getting used to the old one. In fact, a lot of times, we're still faithful to the old one. We're supposed to have put it aside. It's hard to do. Our being in Christ today is to put ourselves in the hands of someone whom we truly cannot know altogether, right? Right? We only know it in a, we can only, we're looking through a glass, but dimly, we don't know. There was an old hymn that they used to sing called, "Some." I think it goes on. Someday It Will All Be Made Plain. Does anybody remember that one? That someday it will all be made plain, but the idea is they accept the fact that um, it's going to be someday. When we get to heaven, and then we shall know as we are fully known, then we'll get to heaven, and then we shall see clearly, then we shall see clearly, now we can. not So what do we do? We are, if we are the just... The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We have entrusted our lives, surrendered our lives, placed our whole lives, everything about us, into the hands of one we cannot see, trusting that he is going to do wonderful things for us as his promise is spelled out in Scripture, anticipating changes that he's going to make in us that we cannot truly understand can't really even prepare for other than to yield ourselves up to the Lord and say, your will be done. The Lord is doing amazing things in our lives. Um, we come to the Lord oftentimes and we think to ourselves, I remember, I know I did, when I first came to the Lord, I thought now I can put all of my gifts to work for the God. I'll just surrender to him, I'll give them to the Lord, he'll take all my gifts and use them. My, he is Boy, is he going to be glad to see me. All these gifts, I've got all this stuff I can contribute. Do you know how many of the gifts that I thought I had? Do you know how many he's using the way I pictured? None. Um, I couldn't picture any of the things that he was going to do. In fact, one of the things we come to understand as we become Christians, we give ourselves to the Lord who knows all these things, who has these plans, who um, is obviously his ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. He has plans for us that we only know one thing about they're good. And not even in a way we might decide is good. Because we're looking, if we look at things through worldly eyes, the things that the Lord is going to do for us that, we are, are, uh, that are for us or in us, um, sometimes he takes us, you know, he takes us through the desert. It was good that the Israelites went through the desert, was it not? Did they think so at the time? Of course not. They're in the desert. They had no water. If it wasn't for water coming out of a rock, they wouldn't have had water at all. They're eating stuff that appears on a bush in the morning and dries up in the afternoon. They're relying upon God completely by faith, but it was good. Because obviously in the, in the course of history, looking back on it, leaving ourselves in the hands of a God who knows what he's doing, when he delivered them into the promised land, that was the part of the history. They remembered that, and they were more grateful for the land that they had, and they were better prepared to endure the discipline that the Lord had for them. The discipline never stops. We're we'll always continuing to do that. The things we give them, the, the gifts that we bring to them, the, the things that we surrender to them, what we find out is the Lord, in the end, is going to ask some things of us that we would have looked at and thought were impossible. We would have thought they're impossible. You can't do these things. Well, you can't. Not without God, you can't. He's going to ask you to do all manner of things that are just simply impossible. I'm I, i I'm thinking of... Um, I, really, I really like Alice in Wonderland. Has anybody ever read... Alice in Wonderland, when, you know, when you read it as a kid, it's, a, you know, white rabbits and Tweedledee and Tweedledum. When you read it when you're older, you think, there's some really incredible stuff in here. And there was one where, where um, Alice says to the queen, well, you, you can't believe impossible things. And the queen says, well, I dare say that you haven't much, had much practice. You've hardly tried. Why, when I was a kid, I used to do, um, I used to spend a half hour a day believing impossible things. And sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. I I wish I could write like that. I just think think that's really ingenious. And we're being asked to believe impossible things. We're being asked to believe things that if the world looks at them, when we looked at them before we came to the Lord, and if we're not careful, we can look at them now and think, these these things just simply can't be done. These things are beyond what we should expect. They're they're beyond what, what can be done. But with the Lord working within us, they're not only possible. You can expect them. Um, the whole idea of expectancy, the whole idea of anticipation is to leave ourselves in the hand of somebody and the only, of, who knows what they're doing and the only thing that we can say for sure is, I know they're going to be good, I know they're going to be useful, I know that they are going to be proper, and I just have to trust that he knows what he's doing. The whole idea of um, this expectancy is very important for us as Christians. Um, built into that. The whole idea of expectancy is we have to understand better who we are. What has the Lord called us to be? What is the Lord doing with us? Sort Sort of going to be a little scripture heavy here this morning. Ephesians 3. Starting with verse 16. This is the kind of life, this tells us the kind of life that Jesus has called us to, saved us to, and has expectations of us to follow him and to do what he says. I pray that out of the glorious riches, this is Paul, of all the fullness of God, that you, here in Arnold, who are not known to people in Chicago, who are not, we, in our little corner of the world, insignificant though we are, humble though we are, are going to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is what we're called to. We didn't expect this when we first came to the Lord, and neither to our young brothers and sisters in the faith who come to us who are, who are still lapping up mother's milk. Called to all the fullness of God to do very big things, kingdom work. This is, I know I get to be Johnny one note about this. There's two things that I simply cannot let go of. I can't let go of it. I've been brought, brought to the place where I know that this is of, of primary importance uh, that we can't let go. One of them is the importance of prayer. The centrality of prayer, the dominance of prayer in our life. Christians must pray. A Christian who loves the Lord, a Christian who has surrendered to the Lord. Christians must pray. If we love somebody this much, we want to be in their presence. At the very least, we want to share the love of Jesus or the love of God, and to have that going back and forth. We want to be lifted up. We want to be strengthened. We want to be encouraged. Don't we? Every one of us needs encouragement now, today. As as I heard it put once, when we reach rock bottom, we want to know there's a rock at the bottom, one that holds us up, one that keeps us going, one that strengthens us, somebody who talks to us, guides us, exactly like the old scripture, that old uh, hymn. You know, um, old hymns have fallen into disfavor in a lot of places. I I used to think that hymns were corny. I wanted to sing praise music, I wanted to dance around. I wanted to roll around the i 'm not kidding i wanted to, i wanted all this i, did, I didn 't have a broom like those the ones in Toronto you know they, they wave a broom in the air i don 't exactly understand that. But believe me, if we weren't dancing, if we weren't hopping, if we weren't moving, if we weren't screaming, then the service was lacking something. And, of course, as we go along and you, leave and you go to the Lord in prayer, lead me, lead me, guide me. What do you want? What is right? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to be? How do I get rid of myself so that I'm not doing this because I'm having a good time, so that I'm doing this because I'm honoring you, glorifying you, surrendering myself to you for your sake, who is worthy of all this praise and worship. We give ourselves to the Lord, and um, the old, the, the, these old hymns come back. He walks with me. Remember? He walks with me and he talks with me. Um, our connection with God, we have entered into a relationship with God whose future we anticipate, whose changes within us we anticipate, uh, that we look forward to, whatever shape they're going to take. But we are in touch with a God who literally, he's not on again, off again. He doesn't dip into our lives once in a while. It's not like Bette Midler says, God is watching us from a distance. He is in us at once, and we are not just under his watchful eye. John 17, starting with verse 20. There must be eyeglasses out there that you can actually see through, (laughs) or at least read through. John 17. 20 through 23. Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying. Pick that up. Jesus is praying. Jesus, who is God's son, right? He has his time of prayer. We need to follow his example. Um, He's praying for his apostles. That's why it starts off with 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Do we know any of those people? That's an easy one. <laughs> do we know any of those people? Who came to the Lord because of their message? Who are the ones that Jesus is praying for? Do you know Jesus? Right. Do you know Jesus is praying for you? Are you aware that you have entered into a relationship, the expectation that we have of a God who's going to do great things to us, right now, Jesus is praying for you. You mean that much to him. The, the height, the width, the, width, the depth, all of the, the, the love of Jesus Christ. He's praying for you. That all of them may be one. The two little ladies in Graves Run Church. All of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are, are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's terribly important to understand that we are one with God. Um, he loves us. He shepherds us. We are one with God. Our relationship with God is that close. We are intertwined. We are co-mingled. We are united in this kind of unity. This is what the Bible says that I preach and believe. This is what the Lord is telling us. We are one with God and with each other, a kind of love the world cannot know, and the results of which we cannot truly in our hearts expect we don't know what's coming we only know it's going to be good we only know it's going to be miraculous we ought to be beside ourselves with excitement wanting to know what the lord is going to do in us this day rejoicing in the lord always i mean we literally should be springing out of bed without expectation just like we used to sing you know this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it I know we have bad days. I know we have down days. There is nobody who can mope around, as Denise will tell you. She uses the word, that Yiddish word mutz. You're mutzing around. Do you know what mutzing around is? Uh, I, I can't. I don't want to. I'd rather not. The leaves will be there tomorrow, and the day after, and the day after that. I just don't feel it. mutzing. I don't care. That's the worst one, right? We should do that. I don't care. Um, if I truly knew what it was to be one with Jesus Christ, I could be wrong about this. I've been wrong before today. But um, if I truly knew in my heart now that I was one with Jesus Christ, I don't think such an attitude would be possible. Not only is it possible in my life, oftentimes it dominates. It becomes characteristic. The kids know he's got that look on his face again. Um, It affects other people. I guess I've come to the conclusion that the more we understand who we are, the more we know that we are one with the Lord of the universe, the more we understand um, whose care we're under, whose hand is, is on us, who we are one with, the less possible it is to be so self-centered and so worldly as to let ourselves be defeated by trifles. I've been, de- I've been defeated by a lawn full of leaves. And they're not just leaves, they're these little skinny leaves that go in between the things on the rake. You can't even rake them up. I have reason to be mad at these leaves because they're skinny leaves and they make my work twice as hard as they ought to and they dominate my my whole world. I'm, I'm telling you, I honest, God help me, God forgive me. I'm thinking of it now. I'm not finished, and I've got those leaves, are st- the, the leaves are still, it's called, a, it's called a willow oak, I don't know if you know those, the leaves are like, they're, they're long and skinny Leaf. you can't rake them up, got to get them out of there somehow, anyway, um, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, the whole idea of expectancy, come thou long expected Jesus, um, The idea is come and reign in my heart and make me who you want me to be. I'm ready. I'm ready to be laughed at. I'm ready to be humiliated. I'm ready to work my fingers to the bone. But I'm going to be rejoicing with you all the way. You are God. You are worthy. You know what you're doing. I belong to you. I tried it my way. It was a disaster the way I tried to run my own life, the things I wanted done. I don't know exactly what's coming, but it's going to be something good. It reminds me of the song from West Side Story. So he said, something's coming. I wish I could sing. It's really a great song. Um, Could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming. Something good. If I can wait. Something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it is going to be great. Now, Leonard Bernstein didn't mean that as a hymn. Actually, he didn't write the words. But anyway, they didn't mean it as a hymn. Sondheim wrote the words. But that's really what it amounts to. I've yielded myself up to you. I don't know what it is. It's going to be great. How can it not be? You're the God of the universe who made me in in Christ, in whom all things live and move and have their being, including me, in which everything holds together. He knows what he's doing. He is involved in every moment. Obviously, this topic is something that, that can be... You do a sermon about this for the rest of our lives. but we better not today. Third thing to anticipate. We know what this is, right? Can you see this coming? What are we anticipating as the expectant children of God? Or what should we be anticipating as the expectant children of God living here in the 21st century, looking around and beginning to see signs? is coming back. Christians often forget or don't want to Live our lives like this could happen before I finish the next sentence. Some of the people who stand on the street corners handing out tracts it'll say like, "Are you ready?" Something along those lines, and we say, "I know all that stuff. (laughs) You know, I've been. I went to Sunday school. I know all about the. Are we ready? Am I? Are we ready? What are some of the things that Jesus tells us to pray for? What are some of the things that Jesus says?" about what's coming, about what we're to anticipate, about what we're to picture. When I picture the rapture, when I picture the end times, it is all good for me. It is all good for me because the dead in Christ are going to be raised and then like that much later I'm going to be up in the sky. I'm going to be up in the sky, weightless, huh? Wouldn't that be, I've been waiting for that for a long time <laughs> and weightless up in the sky with my neighbors, with my friends, with the, the people of Christ who went before, caught up on my way to a heaven that I can barely picture. I only know it's going to be great. This is the way I picture all this. Jesus, though, remember when he tells his disciples what they should be praying for, what it's going to be like? One will be taken and one will be left behind. Pray this doesn't happen in the winter or during the Sabbath. Woe to women who are pregnant or nursing children when this happens. Obviously, for some people, this is going to be a wonderful event. I know um, the men's group studying Revelation. How far along are you? You're done? Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're on like chapter four. Um, every, every week we do like another verse and a half. It's, uh, <laughs> Revelation takes some digging. But over and over, and even in Revelation, we see these things over and over again, glory and power and honor, you know, there's, there's this praise, there's this glory, this is all done by God for his purpose, he knows what he's doing, dealing with a fallen world that we are not supposed to love, right? We love the people, but we cannot emulate the world, we cannot copy the world, we cannot be like the world, the world that we are a part of um, is ruled by the adversary, And we are, in the world, not of the world, heading towards something which we can only picture in part. And I think a lot of us think about that only once in a while, sort of vaguely. I could be wrong, maybe it's just me. But I've I've learned one thing, there's nothing that I believe that only I believe. I've uh, everything that uh, somebody else out there is, uh, is going through the same thing and in my life just as self-centered as I am I think about the next blessing the next great thing what has the Lord done for me already and something's coming and it's big and in the meantime the work that has to be done here on earth is big the kingdom work for the sake of his coming kingdom where we surrender ourselves yield ourselves up to him and allow him to be about his business. The three anticipations that we think here at Christmas time is that there was a time when the people of Israel were looking forward to the birth of the Messiah who came in the form of a baby that, that uh, then proclaimed his own uh, lordship and kingship who said to the woman at the well, the one that you are seeking is the one to whom you are speaking who gave up his own life. Remember he says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I take it up again. Went to the cross for our sakes, rose into the heaven, into heaven defeated the real enemy, not the Romans. Death—the thing that scares everybody. I'm not afraid of the Romans. How many Romans do you know? They're all—they're all gone. They, you know that this too shall pass. But death is still a threat to those of us who—who um, who are mortals and still face it. But we know that that's the enemy that he came to defeat and conquer. But he didn't—he didn't even do just that. He sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts. To abide with us, to be one with us, to guide us, to instruct us, to love us, to counsel us, to comfort us, to encourage us, to change us in ways we can't anticipate. We only know because we trust the Lord that it's going to be good. So he came to earth, is born in our hearts for those of us who surrender to him, and something's coming for which we have to be uh, prepared and at work. Uh, to be about the Lord's work for His kingdom work, uh, in expectation of His coming kingdom. At Christmas time, uh, oftentimes that gets that gets overlooked. I understand it. I mean, you know, the tree's fun. The kids you know, see the kids come out. On I, it's fun. Um, but the risk sometimes at Christmas time is to sort of compartmentalize God in our hearts about this part of Him. Don't do that with God. We are God in his entirety. He is the God who did come as a a baby for this purpose, heading somewhere. It's all one, working together. This is the God into whom we've surrendered ourselves, who, who we've given our lives, whom we worship and have yielded up to, and he is going to be doing wonderful, wonderful things. We go to him in prayer and submit to him and let him be about his work, changing us, preparing us, disciplining us for something we can only barely foresee, but that we know must be done. And it will be done right because it is God who does it.
1: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Travel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep.